Thanks so much for being here. Great to see you. Thanks for being online. Thanks for joining us. Hey, as, as, as Ryan was talking about, we're in this series called Devoted. Um, before we got to that, I, had, I wanted to take two personal pastoral moments, take a little privilege that I can take occasionally. I don't do it often, but I wanted to take two, mo- two things I wanted to talk about. Number one was I was gone last week um, and Sean spoke for me and I was gone because we had a very important event in our, in our family and my daughter got married. So... It was quite the event, and there's, you know, just one question that everybody's asked, um, and you started asking it before I left, you've asked it during the week, you've asked it today. Everybody asked, how much did it cost? No, that's not the question. The question was, how many times did you cry? How many times did Stephen cry? I'm a little upset that was so in unison, Um, but... (laughs) The reality is none, and you're going to think I'm lying, but I really did not. A couple of reasons why. Number one, I had rehearsed the script about a million times, right? So I knew what was coming. I knew where the emotional moments were. Number two, I'm a professional, and I know that the trick to not crying is squinching your toes really, really hard. And so I did that, had to call my podiatrist this week. But, um, and then third, in the middle of the ceremony, all these gnats showed up around my hand and started biting my hands, and it was very distracting. So it kept me from crying, and so I did not cry at that point, I'll probably talk a little bit crying about it, but we had such an incredible weekend of just celebrating. You know, um, a lot of times weddings can happen and you, you really are celebrating the event. It's more of the demonstration rather than the celebration. And we just had such a great celebration with our family. My kids uh, even now are like, that was the best weekend ever. And so it was just incredible. I had a, a couple of pictures. Here's my daughter coming to me and walking my daughter down the aisle and million dollar smile right there. And uh, now that smile for her is um, one of the reasons why she can smile is because her heart's alive. And uh, so that was just a great moment for me to be able to walk her down the aisle. We have another picture uh, of me. This is uh, my, my son-in-law. And now he, what he didn't know he was getting into is he's going to be the subject of a lot of sermons. But um, <laughs> sorry, Michael. Um, but he's, he's, he's awesome. And obviously my wife and my, and my daughter right there. And then one of the things you know that we do that I've shared before is one of the traditions our family has is that whenever we're riding down the road and the song drops, the Jupiter comes on, we roll the windows down and we sing it really, really loud. And so we had an opportunity singing karaoke. This is what it looked like, um, us karaokeing to Drops of Jupiter and highly embarrassing, but it was something that we did. And one of the things I just want to talk about is, is um, man, that growing up as a, as a pastor and my daughter growing up as a pastor's kid, one of the things that we never wanted our kids to be was a pastor's kid. And because of this church and the people that poured into her and the way that you guys have helped and the way that we have been able to write, man, my kids love their parents. She loves her mom. She loves her dad. And she loves the church. And that's not not stereotypical of a lot of pastor's kids. And that's because of you and all that you've done to pour into our kids. And we just felt so honored and blessed, like you were a part of everything that we were doing that week. And um, they've always known that it was more important for their last name to be Gibbs than it was to be a pastor's kid. And it was more important for them to follow Jesus. And so we, we, had, this, uh, we had this agreement when, I was, when they were younger that if anyone ever called, pulled the pastor's kid card on them or ever asked, do you want me to call your dad? They were to say yes and give them my cell phone number. And I had their back. And uh, there was a couple of times they did and I proved it, I proved it to be true. And so those people no longer go here. Um, but <laughs> And you wouldn't want them to, but it's been such a great environment. 
Who said that? It's been such a great environment for my kids, hopefully for your kids and for generations to come. And so there's three things I would say about raising daughters. Obviously, daughters are different than sons, especially when they get married. It's just different. I officiated my son's wedding a couple years ago. No big deal. See ya. Um, <laughs> jokes. But your daughter's just different. Your daughter's just different. And, and number one, you know, Debbie and I have prayed for her spouse before she was born. Before she was even born, we prayed for her spouse. And so we prayed, I literally prayed that she would marry someone who rode a motorcycle because she was full of adventure and she needed that. And man, we got so much more. Our prayers were too small. Uh, this husband of hers, just one thing I'll share and you'll get, get the idea of him. He, he raced a sailboat from Los Angeles to Hawaii across the Pacific Ocean. So I think, I think that's better than learning how to ride a motorcycle. And so praying for your daughters, dads, and another thing that you, you have to do is your daughters are going to learn what they're looking for and learn how they can be treated based on, based on you, based on how you treat your wife, based on how you treat other women and based on how you treat her. So you need to date your daughter. You need to take her out. You need to take her places. You need to be able to take her out maybe to breakfast or maybe different type times throughout the week. And not everybody has the experience to be able to have a dad. And I think some, one of the greatest joys is to be a, a dad, but also you parents will understand this. Some of your greatest regrets are in your parenting because of the biggest mistakes that you make. But God just has a way of covering that up and there's just grace for that. So I would just encourage you, date your daughters. Now, now the, the final thing I would say is a lot of times daughters get this stereotype of with their dads that they wrap their dads around their little finger. Um, and that may, be, may or may not be true, but daughters need discipline just like boys do. They need boundaries, they need guardrails, they need to know which direction to go in. And they're gonna look at the stability you provide, the boundaries that you draw. They're gonna look at that and it's gonna provide them with just encouragement um, throughout their life. And so um, just as a word to dads, hey, if you know someone who may not have a dad active at home, you should step into that situation. You, you, should, you should be the one to kind of, hey, can I help? Is there something I can do? Is there a way I can bring life? Is there a way that we could do some things that maybe you're going to miss out on? So dads, uh, that's for you. So great weekend. We got to celebrate. Thank you uh, so much for that. Second thing, second thing is, you know, Easter's coming. You, rem you remember last Easter? Remember that? We were getting ready to do church online. So much was stolen from us. And we had good Friday services online. I actually watched Easter services on a Sunday because we filmed earlier in the week. Like that's never happened before. It was wild. And so much was taken from us last year. And relationships were broken. Lives were stolen from us. Financial problems existed because of all that had been stolen from us. Like, and then we didn't get to meet together. Anybody miss meeting together last year? As you look back, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know, it was gonna, I, didn't know I was going to miss it that much. You know, we look back on it and we miss meeting together. And even now for people who are health compromised and for whatever reason are watching online and how awesome is technology that you can watch online. People ask me the question like, what's it like? You know, are people coming back? Is what's, what, what does it look like? Is there energy in the room? Like what's happening? People are still wanting to engage and are, are looking forward to that opportunity. And as we began to plan for Easter and we didn't want to forget what happened last Easter, but we wanted to make this Easter one to remember. Amen, somebody? Like we wanted to be able to look at this Easter. So we began to plan and pray and think about what would it look like for us to be able to have an Easter to remember. 
And as we look at the early church, it says that day by day, they were devoted to meeting together. And so what we want to do is, as we prepare for Easter, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, as we just say, Satan, you don't win, right? As we say, Satan, you don't win, we are going to have night church every day from Sunday, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, through Good Friday. Come on. Y'all should be a little more excited about this. We're going to meet every night at 630. We'll have child care. And then the last service, a lot of people clapped right there when I said we're going to have opportunities for our kids' environments. And so we're going to have opportunities for our kids to be able to be. We're going to have worship. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have teaching. And then we're just going to have an opportunity to be here. And for some people who may not have had an opportunity to be back yet, for whatever reason, it'll be a great time for them to kind of dip their toe in the water. You know, it's going to be an incredible time to invite people because you'll be talking to people during that day. You can say, hey, yeah, come to our church tonight. We just wanted to do something to be bold, to make a statement, to say, hey, we're, we're not going to let this keep us down. As a matter of fact, we're going to double down on it and we're going to be as bold because we know that right now what's happening in our culture, they need a church who will be active. Come on. Like they need a church who will engage, a church who will lean in, a church who believes what they say they believe, a church who smokes, who sells what they're smoking. Like we need a church to do that and we want to put our money where our mouth is. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a group, you guys can pick a couple of nights that you should come and be a part of what's happening. Maybe some of you, I know you're going to be here every night. You're going to be here like every night. Why aren't we having it Saturday? We're going to take Saturday off. Jesus took Saturday off. We're taking Saturday off. And so you'll get that right. Uh, uh, and so, but some of you will be here every night. And I just encourage you, this is a time where God can grow our faith, God can grow our influence, and God can grow our impact as we just double down on Easter, the most important holiday or the most important uh, holy day that we celebrate as Christians. We want this to be the greatest Easter since the very first Easter ever happened. So don't miss it every night, night church. So, all right, let's jump in today. We're in this series called Devoted. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. It's just this passage that we've been reading because the early church turned the world upside down. Man, they were just this powerhouse of transformation. And they had some habits and practices that they devoted themselves to. There were some things that they did normally that helped them live supernaturally. And so we've been looking at some of those habits and practices. And so I'm just going to read through this passage and talk about the topic for today. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Notice it says the prayers. It doesn't say to pray. It doesn't say to prayer. It says the prayers. I'm going to unpack that in a second. It says all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were just very generous. And it says day by day, night church, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. You know, so we want to, as you look at this idea of what the early church did, there was just some habits that they had. And the first one that we see is that at the end of verse 42, it says that they were devoted to prayers. Like prayer was just this center point for the early church. It was a reflex for them. It was just natural for them. This is just what they did at every turn throughout the story of the early church that we read in the book of Acts. They prayed at every turn. Now, now it is no secret that you come to church and you expect 
the, the pastor, the preacher, the teacher to say you should pray. Like, like everybody in the room gets that. We know that we should pray. But it seems like at times we can miss some things and praying like the early church prayed. It feels like sometimes they saw some things happen that we may not see happen. And there's something mysterious about prayer. Because if you think about it, when you pray, you're speaking to someone that you don't see physically. You notice this? Right? You don't see them with your eyes, even though God is everywhere. And so prayer can feel like this mystery. But what if? Like, what if there's more of this mystery that can help our lives matter? Right? And we can capture what the early church did in prayer. And now, now the reality is everybody prays, don't they? Like you pray. Some of you were watching a basketball game last night, praying for your team not to bust your bracket. You were praying. Some people, you see that blue light in the rearview mirror, you start praying then, don't you? Not, not me, you, right? It's like, we, 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 there are times when we pray, and we can pray trivial things, and of course, we should pray at all times, the Bible says. But every religion pr prays. Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. Atheists pray. Democrats pray. Republicans pray. Georgia Bulldog fans pray. Crimson Tide fan? Well, never mind. They always win. They don't need to pray. Um, <laughs> but everybody prays. So Muslim pray, pray, Muslims pray just as this act of devotion and discipline because they want to prove themselves to be worthy of rewards in the next life. You know, Hindus pray for this self-realization. Buddhists pray just to center themselves. Atheists pray when the plane is going down. Everybody prays. Why do Christians pray? Why do Christians pray? Now, I've got a definition. It's a little long. You want to write it down or take a picture of it. But, but it says this. Christians pray as an act of dependence on God and relationship with God to experience the power and the peace of God. Let me talk about that just a second. Christians pray as an act of dependence on God, relationship with God to experience the power and the peace of God. So there's this peace that happens when you're engaged with God in prayer. Have you ever known somebody, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, going through a difficult time, tragic time. Maybe it was a health crisis. Maybe it was something that happened with COVID. Maybe you lost your job. Or maybe, maybe it was something in a relationship. But there was something that was just settled deep in your soul, something that was settled in there, that you just had this peace, this strength, this certainty of understanding that God had you. Like this is that peace that passes all understanding. This is one of the promises of prayer is that we can have peace that passes understanding. Another thing that we get is just power. We get this power. Sometimes it's the power just to keep moving forward. It's the power to take that next step and that next step and that next step. And this is the promise of prayer. And this is what we should be able to expect from prayer when we pray. Now the reality is like most people, if you ask them, do they pray? They would say, uh, yeah, but, but not enough. To say that. Anybody ever felt that? I don't pray enough. Anybody? Now, now, I wonder why. And I would say that. And I think there's some reasons for that. And it's going to be good for us to understand, like, why we don't pray so that we'll understand how to pray better and different. So one reason we don't pray is just because we're just too busy. Have you noticed this? Your schedule is busy. And prayer feels like an afterthought rather than a necessity. It feels optional. And so we get really busy and we just forget to pray or we don't pray. 
when I was in, working on my master's degree, you know, it was a bunch of us guys working on, you know, our master's degree, wanted to be pastors, and you don't necessarily have to do that part of it now. But uh, I can remember there was a guy in our class, and we were talking about prayer and talking about prayer life. And in my mind, a pastor should pray more than other people. I'm just saying, that's just, I just feel like that should happen. It's not really true, but at the time I thought that. And this particular student co- uh, student with me said, yeah, I pray on my way to, while I'm driving to work every morning. Oh, that feels tragic to me. Feels like, feels like you made, made to reprioritize, but sometimes we're just, we're just too busy. Have you noticed sometimes how we can trivialize prayer too? We can just trivialize it. It's the least I can do is pray for you. Is it really the least or is it the most? What do we believe? How many of you guys have ever been involved in like a group, group life at any point in your life? Handful, a few people. You'll, I'm gonna, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. If, if, if you're not in a group, you're gonna love this, right? You're about to hear some inside stuff, right? So let's say you go to a group and you're sitting around and you start taking prayer requests at the end of, time, at the, end of the group. First of all, you save prayer till last don't you? And if you run out of time, you just write it on a card and hand it out and you go home. You know what you always have time for? Every group meeting always has time for eating together. Come on, somebody. Like we're going to eat together and you should, we should eat together. We always have time to eat together. We always have time to talk about the Bible and whatever it is, but sometimes prayer just gets, it's kind of tacked on. And then someone doesn't really have a prayer request and they want to give one. So they'll say something like this. Hey, you know, my, my uncle's got a vet my uncle's vet, the vet for his dogs, my uncle's vet, you know, he's got a son and he needs a job. Could we pray for my uncle's vet's son to get a job? Like, you think I'm joking. Like, this is the kind of thing that can happen. And what do we do? We trivialize prayer and make it be this random long thing. Or, or we use it to gossip. You ever been in a prayer, in, in a prayer circle and it just turned into gossip? Ever happened? It's like, I got a prayer request. Could you pray for my husband? He's so stupid. And what happens is we begin to trivialize prayer, even, even in times when we do pray. But that's not really, that's not really the, the, the main reason why we don't pray, is it? You, you know. You know the main reason we don't pray. The main reason we don't pray is because we don't feel like it gets the results that we're looking for. Hey, you prayed for your mom to get better and she didn't. You prayed for that relationship to last, and it didn't. You prayed for that son or that daughter, and it didn't happen. What, what are we going to do with that? The reality is, man, we don't pray because we don't think it gets the results that we are looking for because we're results-driven people. And we want to see answers. We want to see it tangibly. And we want to see it on our time frame. And the reality is, God's way bigger than we are. Man, and God's ways are so much better than ours. And there's so much about prayer that we don't understand. And so here's what happens. We don't pray because it won't happen or it can't happen. And what if, like the early church, rather than worrying about what won't happen, worrying about what didn't happen, we worried about what might happen that we prayed into the things that we believed and we never let anything go and we just trusted God in the midst of things. You see, people who pray are people who know they're in trouble and need to do something about it. And the early church knew that. This is why they prayed. This is why their prayer lives looked so different. You know, when we don't see results, we just treat prayer as optional. There's this, 
there's this prayer um, in the Catholic Church called the Hail Mary. Anybody familiar with the Hail Mary? A lot of you, okay? Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily theologically appropriate or accurate. I'm just saying it's a prayer. And Catholics say the Hail Mary. Did you also know that Hail Mary is a play in football? Think about it. Some of you don't know. I'm going to explain it to you. If you're in a football game and you're at the end of the game and you're behind and you're way away from scoring and you're going to lose, you can't run a regular play. They don't work. All your practice, all your scheming is not going to work. So what you do is you run a Hail Mary. And what a Hail Mary is, is I'm dropping back. The quarterback has the ball and his people who catch the ball, they're called receivers. They're going to run as far as they can. And he's going to throw the ball as far as he can in hopes against hope that he gets lucky. In hopes against hope that maybe the ball bounces and somehow they're going to catch the ball and they're going to win. It's a long shot, isn't it? Like it's probably not going to happen, but we're going to try. And I think it's ironic that a prayer in Hail Mary prayer is called a football play that's a long shot. That's optional that might not work. And sometimes that's what we believe about prayer that it might not work. Listen, what is it? Why, why, why would you say you don't pray more? Why, why would you say you don't pray more? Is it because you don't have time? Maybe you're just out of time. I don't have time. Is it, could it be that maybe you've had a prayer that didn't get answered and so you just shut it down, you just stopped? Could it be that maybe you feel like you can do it on your own? Because there's a lot of things we can do on our own we don't necessarily need to pray for. Man, could it be that you feel like I don't know how to pray. Or could it be that maybe you just, you just don't even know God? Could it be the reason you don't pray is because you don't know who God is and you wouldn't even know how for him to be active in your life? Why don't you pray more? The early church, their center point was prayer. There, there's so many times, there's 30 different times in the book of Acts, the story of the early church where the early church prayed. I just want to go through a couple of them with us just to kind of frame up the conversation the very beginning of the book of Acts. So the story goes, the Easter story, Jesus dies. He, he's resurrected from the dead. He ascends into heaven, okay? The early church is left with this message to go into all the world. And watch what happens. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. All these, meaning the early church, were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So early on, it's established by prayer. So watch this in Acts chapter 2, 42 that I just read. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, just before this happened, Peter had been preaching. The church had gone from 100 people to 3,000 people. And this was the outcome, the overflow of that. Like, how many of you have ever thought, I should be praying right now in church while Stephen's preaching? Right? He is so bad, he needs help. No, but, but someone in here that you don't know may, may have a heartache, may have a heartbreak, may be going through a struggle, and God's word needs to penetrate into every crack and crevice of their soul. What if you began to pray for people even during the service? This is what the early church did. We see it also uh, in Acts chapter 4 where they, they faced some persecution. They, Peter and John had been thrown into prison. They had told them, hey, you guys stop talking about Jesus. And Peter's like, hey, if you think it's good to stop, then you, 
that's fine with you, but I can't stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. So they beat them and they let them out of jail. And here's what happened in Acts chapter four. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered, this is Peter and John gathered after they got out of prison and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, now if you just got out of prison, you'd been beaten, what are you praying? Like, let's be honest. I'm praying not to go back, aren't you? God, I don't want to get beaten again. I, I'm going to, in fact, I think I'm going to move. Could I get a job transfer? Like, I'm going to pray that. What did they pray? Could we just keep talking with more boldness? Could we just keep saying the same thing with more boldness? And what if we just prayed that we'd have more boldness? One of the things that we pray for our church when we meet as a staff is we pray that we'd be bold, be more bold, that I would be more bold, that you would be more bold because you would be more bold to share the gospel, be more bold to help people, be more bold to step into the gaps for somebody. Some dads would be more bold to step in. Some moms would be more bold that we'd have boldness because this is what the early church did. They pray for, they even, they continue to pray for more boldness. At every turn, the church came together and prayed. Now, now what do these prayers look like? Could it says, it says the prayers. What does this look like? Now, we, we've all prayed spontaneous prayers. You know, maybe you had a struggle or you may, maybe someone called you and you look at the number and you're like, oh, Lord, help me, right? Because you think it's going to be some bad news. We've all prayed these spontaneous prayers. And the early church did that, too. When you sit down at a meal and you thank God for the meal, you're praying a spontaneous prayer. But the early church also prayed set prayers or memorized prayers. They had set prayer times and they had set prayers that they prayed. And so I just want to talk a little about why would you do that and what good is that and how can it inform how we pray? So first of all, let's look at the set times of prayer. In the early church, obviously being an outgrowth of Judaism, they followed the set prayer times of the Jewish customs. So they would pray when they got up, they would pray at nine in the morning, noon, three o'clock, then they would pray in the evening, and then they would pray when they went to bed. So they had lots of different prayer times, they were set prayer times, they would get together and they would pray the same thing over and over and over again. And so we even see this happen with Peter in Acts chapter three, verse one, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So even the early disciples, these two being apostles, they continued to follow the Jewish calendar of prayer, setting times of prayer. Now, now sometimes we don't like that because it feels a little bit mechanical. It feels a little bit robotic. We're not sure exactly how to handle that. Like, and, and if we're honest, we just want, don't want the accountability of having to pray at a certain time. But, but we, we, we have set times for so much, don't we? Like you probably have an alarm. You get up at a set time every day. And you don't feel like that's mechanical or robotic. Now, you hate it most mornings, but you don't feel like, ah, I shouldn't do this. We have set times that we eat. For some of you, you've been sitting in here and your Apple watch has told you it's time to stand. Anybody got that going on? Time to stand up, right? You've got these prompts, these set times. And so it would be good for us to have set times of prayer. You know, you could have a set time of prayer with your kids when they go to bed. You could have a set time to pray right before you eat a meal. You could have a set time to pray right before you go out the doors. Whatever times it is, there are set times that you can pray. Now, here's one thing that I want us to do. Like, if you call this place home, if this is your church and maybe, you know, you consider the place where you're growing spiritually, your community, the place where um, you're getting spiritually nourished. Um, and if you don't know if that's you, if you've been here three times, this is your church. But um, this is what I want to ask us to do. I, I've got my phone up here. I, it's... In honor of Acts 2.42, Acts 2.42 being the passage that I just read, every day 
for the next two weeks, if we set our, if we set an alarm to pray at 2.42, and you can pick a.m. or p.m., it does not matter. <laughs> but if we set 2.42 p.m., I just want you to think about this. You set that alarm, and then every day you'll hear it go off, and you will know that there are hundreds of people praying together. Hundreds of people at that moment all over the city, some people in other places around the world praying together. Now I'm going to tell you what to pray in just a second, but what if we did that just to mark the moment, just to kind of build this rhythm of the early church into our prayer life. Acts chapter 242, where it says they devoted themselves to the prayers, set times. Now the next thing we see is that they had set prayers. They had some prayers that were memorized, that they knew by heart, that they prayed. Now, I know for a lot of people that that's just a little off-putting because maybe you grew up in a liturgical tradition. I mean, a lot of you that raised your hand that you knew the Hail Mary, you learned and memorized a lot of prayers. And what can happen in some religious gatherings is people just stand up and they just read some words and they really have no connection to your soul. They really have no meaning. You're just going through the motions, just going through the routine. And so what happens is you're like, that's bad. But it's not all bad. It's not all bad because these can help train us. These can train us how to pray. The early church prayed the Psalms, right? They prayed the Psalms. This is how they learned the language of prayer because we all need to learn how to pray at some point. And they learn through the Psalms. The Psalms are so important for us and we just kind of neglect them. Now, you may not know a lot about the Bible. The Psalms is a section of the Bible where we see these prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. It teaches us about God, about how amazing he is. How many of you have heard maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? We know that it tells us about God. It tells us about us and it tells us how we should respond to God. Now, now, as this year started, I, you know, like a lot of you, I set goals and have a dream and a vision for the year of things I want to accomplish. And one of the things that I kind of, when I sat down, I, you know, I, I, it wasn't necessarily a number of books I wanted to read or experiences, but it was like, I just want to be better at praying. I want God to grow me in praying. And as I began to research this and look at the powerhouses of prayer, the spiritual powerhouses throughout history, this is where they learned to pray. It was in the Psalms. I got a couple of quotes about that. Um, you guys heard of a guy named Billy Graham? Anybody? Right? Powerhouse. Powerhouse. This is what Billy Graham says. I read five Psalms every day. That teaches me how to get along with God. There's two decades ago, Tim Keller. Tim Keller, you may know Tim. Tim was, is a retired pastor, kind of one of the sages of our day. He began reading the entire book of Psalms every month, turned into a powerhouse. Martin Luther and the Reformation. In the 16th century, it's understood in a lot of ways. It, it, a lot of it was just a biblical revolution, but the heart of it was the Psalms. After Luther received his doctorate in 1512, his first lectures on the Bible was on the text of the Psalms. Luther, Luther once said this, Psalms are not words to read, but to live. It's where we learn to pray. Another early church father said this, the other scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. This is, this is where we learn to pray. It's in the book of Psalms. Now, now we've all learned places to pray. Like maybe you, taught, you, maybe you learned from your parents. Maybe it was at night, God, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. How morbid is that? 
<laughs> God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. We, we, we've been taught to pray in different places. The Psalms, so many people will say, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. That's why we have a whole section of the Bible to teach us how to pray. Where, where did you learn how to pray? Where did you learn how to pray? Was it, was it your parents? Was it maybe listening to somebody at church? Maybe it was listening to somebody online. Maybe it was memorized prayers that you memorized in your religious tradition and culture. The Psalms is where we learn to pray. Hey, guess what? The Psalms is where Jesus learned to pray. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus learned to pray in the Psalms. So many times we'll say prayer is just conversation with God. And it is, but we need some guidance and Jesus learned to pray from the Psalms. You know, I think about that. It's almost humorous because you're like, wait a minute. Didn't you like just show up here knowing how to pray? Didn't you come out of the womb knowing how to pray, Jesus? Because you're like from heaven and all that. But no, he learned just like every other Jewish boy, he learned how to pray. And he learned how to pray through the Psalms. And his disciples asked him to teach them this one thing. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, teach me how to heal those people. They didn't say, Jesus, show me how to raise the dead. Show me how to multiply food. It wasn't any of that. Teach us how to pray. Because in Jesus, they saw something different. Man, they saw this ritual move to relationship. They saw this formula move to power. They saw this ceremonial prayer move into this compelling conversation. Because Jesus took the Psalms and he prayed them from his heart. The Psalms overflowed from his heart. There's a, just a couple instances just to point out. There's a, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, you may remember, as he's on his way to be executed, he's praying. And he's saying this, God, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, please take it. But not my will, your will be done. This is from Psalm 75. Like Jesus was having this honest passionate conversation with his heavenly father and he was using the psalms to guide him in his prayer when he was hanging on the cross at the very end he says father into your hands I commit my spirit and he's actually praying out of psalm 31 now was he just reciting some empty words was he just regurgitating what he'd memorized or had they taken deep root in his soul Jesus prayed the Psalms. The Lord's Prayer is actually this combination of Psalms that Jesus put together. When they said, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus said this, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know this is just a combination of many different psalms that Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he taught us using the psalms. This is, this is, our, this is what's supposed to train us in prayer. So what if at 2.42 p.m. every day, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer? We just had this set time and this set prayer. You may say at 2.42, I'm, I'm in this conference call. I can tell you this. I've talked to a lot of guys while they're in conference call, and they use mute. And so you could just use mute. And you could just come out and pray and then go right back into your call because I'm sure it's very exhilarating. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> you could be with your family. You could be at home with your kids. You could be in carpool, wherever it is. What if at 2.42 you just decided, this is, I'm going to set an alarm and I am going to pray. 
And now notice this. When Jesus said, our Father, notice, notice the first few words in this verse in Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray like this. Our Father. Our Father. Now, now when you hear that or think about that, what's the first thing that jumps off? Usually we talk about God being a father. That God's a good dad who has good for his kids. And that's awesome. But notice the first word as he teaches us to pray is the word our. Don't miss this. I think the reason why I, the reason why you, the reason why we miss the power in prayer is we miss this three-letter little pronoun, our. Is we don't pray with people. We don't pray for people. Nobody prays for us. We never pray with people. You see, prayer starts individually, but it has to move to community for us to reach maturity. Has to move to community for us to reach maturity. We have to be a people that prays for each other. It's what the early church did. Man, they prayed for each other. Now, if we're honest, we don't like people to pray for us because we want to at least look like we have it all together. And if I ask you to pray for me, I'm going to have to tell you what's not going good for me. I'm going to have to tell you where the down part's off, the place where I'm stressed, the place where I'm struggling. This is what happens in prayer. But listen, you'll never grow in your prayer life until you start letting people pray for you. But then also praying for other people. And there's so many ways that you can pray for people. So, for instance, as Sean talked about last week, you have these, you have these promptings. And maybe someone comes to your mind and it would be really good for you just to text them and say, hey, praying for you today. Like, that's awesome. But what if you took it to the next level and you actually texted them a prayer? Hey, George, just thought about you. Hey, God, I don't know what's going on with George, but you do. Just ask you to give him evidence of your reality today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've done that before. I've never had anybody say, never text me a prayer again. I hate you. Like that doesn't happen, does it? So if you get a weird text from me this week, it's because you came to mind, okay? Um, and you're a bad boy. No, I'm kidding. But another way to do this, another way to do this, this is so powerful when it comes to evangelism. So many times we want to maybe have a spiritual conversation with someone and we don't know how to get into it. And the roadmap into that, the entry, the runway into that conversation is through prayer. So let's say you have your neighbors over, they come over for dinner and they're kind of walking out the door and like, hey, before you guys leave, could we pray for you? I've never had a neighbor say, you know what, I'm selling my house, you're weird. Like that does not happen. People are open to it. It's a great entry into that. And what if we just began to be that kind of people? That we just prayed for other people. And we, and we prayed in the moment. Anytime someone says, hey, w- will you pray this for me? Or don't say, yes, I will when I go home right there. Just whatever you're doing, just pray in the moment. You have no idea the influence and the impact that you will have. Now, I get it. On the surface, it feels like it's going to be a little weird. But what if we quit worrying about that and just started really getting excited about what God wanted to do? You know, even Jesus, the, another time he prayed the Psalms. And the reason why we can pray is because of the work on the cross. The fact that Jesus died for us, died for our sins, paid the penalty for us so that we could have life, so that we could have access to God. An image of that is like a veil that's torn and all of a sudden we can walk right in to God. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you asked somebody to pray for you? When's the last time you asked for prayer? When's the last time you just went to somebody and said, you know what, I'm struggling with this. When's the last time you said, hey, I've just gotten some bad news. Will you pray for me? 
we can pray that and people can pray for us simply because Jesus paved the way for us. As Jesus is hanging on the cross in, in Psalm chapter 22, he says these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says these, he is quoting a Psalm. They're not empty words, but words of power. And the, the reason why he was forsaken was so that we don't have to be. That our heavenly father loves us so deeply, he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for our sins that we could have access to the father. And what if we really began believing that? What if we really began acting on that and we stopped living as practical atheists and start living like people who were expectant that God was gonna do something different? You know, Christianity doesn't always have to be practical. And, and in our attempt to make it practical, we can rob it of its power. But what if this relationship we have and this ability we have to pray, we made a statement that we believe something different? Let's pray together. So just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just for these few, next few moments we have together, I know there's some people that you don't believe in God. You, you know that you've never taken that step. You know that when you pray, he doesn't, he, he's, not, he's not answering you simply because you don't have a relationship with him. And the Bible says that the steps to that is just to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved is what the Bible says. And we know that when people pray and ask God to forgive them of their sins, man, immediately he does that. Immediately he steps into their life. And if you've never done that, today is the day for you. And what I wanna do just as we have the stillness of this moment, I wanna, I wanna be able to just lead you in a prayer. And again, it's not the words that I say, it's not because it's some memorized mechanical routine mantra, but it's the expression of your heart to want to follow God. So if that's you today, I'm just gonna encourage you to pray after me. Dear God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Thank you for granting me access that I may know you, have power, and have peace. Amen. You know, the Bible says if you prayed that, and that, that, that God has come into your life, that you're a new creation, that you have access to him. And I just want to help you mark that moment today. It's so important. So I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you, if you pray that today, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Thank you. And so now as we're going to take a time, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to, we're going to worship through prayer. And here, here's, what I, here's what I know. You have, you have a card in your seat, and it's for a prayer request. And I know there's some things you stop praying for. I know there's some pain that's still holding you back. I know there's some regret that's still back there that seems, keeps wanting to pull you back. I know that there's something going on in your life today that you haven't told anybody about. It may be an addiction that you're struggling through and are ashamed of. It could be this relational break that's happening in your family and you don't want anybody else to know it because everybody looks so perfect. I know that there's so much that's going on and we never ask anybody to pray for, we, pray for us because we don't even know how. And so today is just gonna be that first step of, of building a powerful prayer life. And the way that you do that is just to ask somebody to pray for you. So as we, as we start this next song, just write where you are. You can take that card, just write down that prayer request, whatever it might be. Just write down that prayer request. And if you wanna be extremely bold, write your name on it. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna bring it up here to the front as we worship today. 
And then our staff's gonna take it and pray for it throughout the week. So whatever that prayer request might be today, I mean, it may be a wayward son or daughter. It may be the fact that you're not able to have children. It could be the fact that you wanna be so desperately married, but it doesn't seem to happen. I mean, it could be that, you know, the mistakes you've made in the past have just caused alienation. It could be that you had a, got a call from a doctor this week and you hadn't even told anybody. You may not have even told your spouse because you're just not even sure how to verbalize it. But as you begin to bring those things into the light, and as God begins to work in them and as people begin to pray for them, watch what God does. I'm not saying he's immediately going to fix your situation, but what I do know is his promise is to be with you and not to ever leave you or forsake you. And that is the way that we step into that. So God, as we worship you today, God, I pray that we just be honest with our prayers. And God, you just show up in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, we, as they begin the song, grab your cards. And we're going to sing a song um, where we just sing the word amen. We say hallelujah. We say amen. And amen just says, God, you are faithful. God, you are reliable. God, we trust you. That's what amen means. And so you guys just begin to write. And as you, at, once you're done, just bring your card down here to the front and we'll stand and worship.